Okay, here's the gist. I'm a gay guy who's been living in New York City for the past three decades. I got shit to talk about. I also have awesome friends who also have a lot of shit to talk about. That's what this podcast is about. Way off the record. People that you never hear from, that you need to hear from. Because trust me, girl, you need this fabulous in your life. Welcome to a special selection of conversations within the framework of Way Off the Record. Uh, here I'm interviewing my friends that are singers and songwriters, and we're talking about their work, how they work, the process, and what it means to them. My special guest today is my oldest and dearest friend, Tom Gualtieri. Bosom buddies. That's right, girl. <laughs> Hi, girl. <laughs> how are you, Tom? I'm okay. I'm kind of cranky today, actually. Why? Because the subway makes me so mad. I know the subway makes you cranky, but you can't be cranky here. No, I'm not. I'm actually very excited to talk to you today. I am too. And I'm too. kind of really um, getting a lot of joy out of your cat right now. <laughs> your cat is so pretty and oh cute. Oh, my God. He's pretty and he knows it. And, and I'm hoping that his insane behavior, because he has, you know, a couple hours a day, he's just fucking like knocking shit over and running around the apartment right and being a fucking bitch but hopefully <laughs> he'll be he seems pretty chill now i think he likes your energy by yeah the way. i like him he did follow me into the bathroom which gave me pause yeah but, he does that to um, me too. not pause like p-a-w-s you're not but... special but he does it to me too <laughs> he does. yeah he does it's like it's kind of fucking creepy anyway oh, here he comes so Oh, see, he hears his name, but he's, by the way, he's totally deaf. You know that, right? Oh, yeah? Completely deaf. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, like, that's fun when you try to train a deaf cat, but we'll talk about that later. Um, I want to talk about how we met. Oh. Um, I wanna, Should we? Why not? I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we had sex. Hello, that's how all gay men know each other. And our, no, that's not friends. true, though. That's not true. We met through your husband, through your boyfriend at the time. He wasn't Actually, a husband. not your husband. He wasn't a husband, sorry. No, don't... I, no names necessary. We'll go back. We met through somebody you were dating years ago. Yes. And that's how we became friends, because you and, and I kind of really hit it off. Yes. And you did this play called Cloud Nine, and it's, you told me, I think, the adaptation of Henry Miller's Wings. No, 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 nothing to do with that. Up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Start over. fucking up. Okay, let's. <laughs> this is, this is a. This is a thing about you that I've known for a long time is that you will like conflate things in your head that have nothing to do with each other All just the because time. they happen to be in the same I'm, conversation. I'm Mrs. Malaprop. Hi. <laughs> so, no, we'll talk about that adaptation later. Cloud Nine is a play by Carol Churchill. It was an enormous success in the, in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it ran off Broadway for, um, for a number of years, directed by Tommy, in a production by Tommy Toon. Oh, um, wow. We did a. Uh, showcase revival of it um we being uh some friends of mine from college and i mm. those friends are now the araka group um and they Ooh. are producers and they do merch like broadway merch like t-shirts and magnets and all that stuff oh, cool um but they are also broadway producers um so they went from doing that to you know producing they discovered you're in town actually and brought it to broadway <gasps> Nice. Um, but anyway, that's a that's a big long tangent. We did this play Cloud Nine, um, mm-hmm. and we had fallen in love with it. And it hadn't had a revival at that point. It has since had a professional revival off Broadway. Right, right. But we did it at what was called the Perry Street Theater, which no longer exists. Mm. Um, it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful space on Perry Street, a lovely little theater where the night Larry Kramer kissed me started. Oh. 
um, such a charming, charming little theater. And um, we spent a tremendous amount of money on it and had a great time. And um, a producer that had fallen in love with our production um, was suffering from AIDS at the time. Mm. And um, it was really heartbreaking because he really believed in our show. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm too sick to do anything about it. And... um, Fuck. We had a very successful run. We were completely sold out the entire run. And about a year later, I bumped into him. I kept in touch with him, but then we fell out of touch when he started to get really ill. Mm-hmm. And about a year a year later, I bumped into him with his sister at a restaurant, and he was completely blind because of the disease. Um and he talked again about the show. He's like, I wish that I could have done something, but it's too late now. You know, he's like, I'm on my way out. And mm. oh God, it was, it was completely heartbreaking. Okay, so the thing that I remember the most um, after you and I had become friends, Tom, is seeing you in this play in which you were um, in this Edwardian dress. You were like Meryl Streep and Out of Africa kind of a <laughs> character. And none of it was camp. None of it was over the top. It was so fucking believable. And again, having known you, you know, for a short time, but I knew you as Tom. And then I see you on stage and it just blew my fucking mind. Tell me about that. Well, it's interesting that you say that it wasn't camp because my problem with taking on the role. So Cloud Nine, um, we should probably talk a little bit about what the play is about and why I was wearing a dress. Um, (laughs) Cloud Nine is a um, two-act play by Carol Churchill that was a tremendous success off-Broadway in the late 70s in a production directed by Tommy Toon. Um, um, The play is about sexual politics, gender politics. Mm -hmm. And so the characters in the first act are... scripted to be played some of them by opposite genders and opposite races right mm-hmm. so the wife the victorian wife in the play is scripted to be played by a man because of the male imposition of their ideals right. on women right so right. a man can never know what it's like to be a woman and yet the victorian man dictated how women should behave so insightful so her, i was you know yeah so i was i was playing this character betty and uh, you identified the dress as being Edwardian, which is really keen of you because the um, the play is set in Victorian era, but the costume designer wanted to push the designs into the Edwardian era because they were a little freer. Um, right. Anyway, he wanted to work in that era, and we like that idea. Cool. So um, you talk about it not being camp or about my performance not being camp, which is a big deal because it kind of touches on the idea that um, it hits on the very idea of the play, which is a man can't be a woman, right? A man can't mm-hmm. know what it's like to be a woman. Mm-hmm. We'll get into trans issues later, but, th- yeah, but it has nothing yeah. to do with transgender uh, issues. It has to do specifically with cisgender people. Mm-hmm. And um, I was playing the role very camp, and it wasn't funny and it wasn't coming out right and um, we had a style consultant on the play her name was Elizabeth Ingram um, and her parents had been raised in colonial India British colonial India so she had a lot of insight into the period but the thing that the play is about which is gender and sexual politics raised a bunch of questions she said to me 
what do you do with a man? And I was like, me? And she said, I mean, Betty, the character, what does Betty do with a man? And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, I was just having a hard you time getting around the question. Or what yeah. Is, what does you, that mean? You have the exact questions that I had. <laughs> she wanted me to be graphic. And I said, well, and the play is all about sex. The play has all this graphic sexual talk. Yeah. I said, well, I take the man. And she said, no, Tom, you accept the man. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God. Mind blown. And that know, was like, the, the trigger for you to, like, completely rewrite how you portrayed her, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. God. And again, you know, it's about, that's about like tops and bottoms. It's about men and women. Like being the receptive partner mm-hmm. is a different act of power. I have always said this, but I'm so glad you brought this up. The bottoms have all the fucking power. I don't know that that's true. No, I think so. Because they let you in. They control how far you go, how hard you go. Mm-hmm. This is why I have an explicit rating on my podcast. Um, but it's true. It's like nobody talks about the shit. Anyway. Well, but the po- her point was that the, the receptive partner also has power. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not the power of the masculine aggressive power. It is the, po- the feminine power of acceptance and, oh, and nice. release and openness, Fabulous. right? And there are two different kinds of power, which is why I object to the bottom has all the power because they're both powerful. It's two different types of That's power. True. That's true. And they true. meet in the middle. That's true. Okay, good. All right, so this is a good segue. I suppose top and bottom and, uh, but in terms of race and uh, gender, uh, to talk actually about the project, draw the circle wide. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, so let's talk about the project for which this episode is all about. Mm-hmm. Draw the Circle Wide. Mm-hmm. What is that about? Draw the Circle Wide is uh, a short video series created by uh, myself and my collaborator, David Sisko. David and I have been writing musicals together for the last 15 years. Mm. Um, and this project, we started this project because we were on a break in between uh, other projects, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> regular musical projects. Mm-hmm. And we have for a very, very, very long time felt very strongly about um, non-traditional casting as well as multi-ethnic casting, and I think there's a distinction there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and very strong feelings about wanting to be more inclusive in anything that we write, um, even when things are period-specific, um, and again, a whole big topic we could spend a whole hour on, mm-hmm. which is that when something is not specifically about race, there is no reason for, uh, you know, homogenous casting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Draw the Circle Wide, our subtitle for the series is Expanding the Everyman. Because until mm-hmm. now, um, the default everyman has been white, straight, European, cisgender, male. Mm-hmm. And everyone has to make that translation when they watch something. They have to say, this is what it feels like to be white guy, and here are the ways that I feel similar. Mm -hmm. So Draw the Circle Wide is an attempt to put other people at the center of a story. So people who are not traditionally your lead character. Perfect. That makes so much sense. Um, I want to say underrepresented 
communities. Mm-hmm. Um, does that answer your question? Does that make sense? I think so. So you're ta- you're you're not only talking about race and gender. You're talking about um, cultural appropriation, um, lack of content in musicals for people of color and different body types and trans. Yeah, trans you know, people trans and trans people and everything. People of different abilities. Um, you know, Ali right. Stroker, who is one of our guests, won a Tony Award for Oklahoma for playing which, Ado Annie, which I saw, which was fucking amazing. She's incredible in it. And the the thing that sort of lights it up for me, aside from her performance, which would be a fantastic performance, whether or not she was in a wheelchair, regardless of yes, is that she's playing a character who has written who is written as able bodied, mm-hmm. and um, we never address it; we just accept it. Exactly, and it's exactly. it's so breathtaking. I don't know. She's funny and charming and wonderful and you just fall in love with the character. And, and there's nothing about that performance that, as you say, it's never mentioned. It's, there, there's no sort of like, oh, let me um, help you up the ramp here, Ado. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, thank God they were smart enough, the whole production team and the director, to just not fucking mention it. And I think that plays into what you're trying to do with the Royal Circle Wide. It's it like, is. It's exactly. It's just not... It's, it should not be an issue, and we're going to, like, break the boundaries. You mentioned something about um, push the boundaries of, in casting, in ethnicity, and gender norms outside the binary. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. Because, <clears throat> oh, God, that's, again, big, big topics for a, for a, for a short podcast, right? But the, the thing we want to do with our series is create content for people that are outside of the people we usually see mm-hmm. as the lead characters in a show. We want mm-hmm. to put underrepresented people at the center of the story. Exactly. I, I, it's super important. We have to be a little bit briefer in this. By the way, I think this is a two-parter. I just have the sense yeah. that there's too much to talk about. So I wanted to mention the four people so far that, that Draw the Circle Wide has written for and collaborated with um, Ali Stroker, again, Spring Awakening, Spring Awakening and Oklahoma, Jonathan Burke, Choir Boy the Inherit- and the Inheritance, which I still haven't seen, mm. which I think is closing soon, um, Cindy Chung, um, Iowa and 13 Reasons Why, and Ryan Redman from Frozen and Bring It On. So I wanted to ask you... Um, as two white men, you and, and David, are tackling these really complex social issues, but you're still two white men. So how do you yeah. navigate that? So, yeah, we're two white men and we're writing for people of color and, and trans people and uh, people of different abilities. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because there's a lot of talk about taking action. And we want to actually do something, right? Mm -hmm. We write about topics that interest us, but we're also very, very interested in creating content that allows other people to take center stage. Exactly. Um, Whether or not that's acceptable is like a thing that's kind of tripping people up in the arts world right now, I think. Mm. There's a lot of talk about cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and about who gets to tell whose story. Exactly. But this is us 
being used as a vessel. We are, we are allowing ourselves to take stories from other people, or they're, they're allowing us to take details from their lives mm-hmm. to create content for them. So exactly. So I wanted to ask you about that. Like what, like, you know, Hey, how do you choose the people for whom you want to write songs mm-hmm. about? Then what is the process? Like when you have the interviews with the actors, what questions do you ask? You know, how do you craft the questions mm. to actually then translate into lyrics and song meetings? Well, the um, the interviews are very much like this. We are trying really to get to the personal with mm-hmm. these actors. Um, and we're not necessarily telling their actual stories, right? They're not necessarily biographical songs, mm-hmm. but they are songs that use details from their lives to create a character or a oh. fiction for them to play that is mm, close to them, yeah. um, possibly. Yeah. But the bigger thing is the translation from... Um, is a, a, allowing some translation of their lives so that they are not singing about, uh, I want to say token, the word token, which yeah, is yeah. kind of an ugly word. Like <clears throat> a lot of times you get a token person in a show and the issue of that, and I'm, by show I mean movie, TV, film, Broadway musical. Right. And the issue for that character is the issue that makes them different instead of it just being a general human issue. Um, One of the things that you said to me that I thought was really interesting is what's groundbreaking here is that you're putting words that you would normally not hear from these people into their voice. So it doesn't matter their gender, their race, their mm -hmm. ability. They're singing about everyone's problem. And they happen to be a Chinese American or a woman in a wheelchair or vice, you know, whatever. And I, I think a really good example of that is Allie's story, because Allie um, mm. very open about her uh, b- being, um, you know, sort of breaking new ground, being a, the first woman in a wheelchair, I think the first person in a wheelchair to win a Tony Award for a musical. Amazing. Um, and she refers to herself as she, disabled. She says disabled, and we were using differently abled, and she said, I don't use that because it's confusing. Mm. Um, and the getting back to you know how we how we sort of crafted a story for her and it's a kind of a hard distinction to make but i hope it comes across she told us a story about well, it wasn't a story it was an issue she brought up about people coming up to her and saying you're so inspiring you're so in- so inspiring mm. and she said she's so grateful to be inspiring to other people but then there are times where somebody will come up to her and they're like you're so inspiring and she's like i'm buying chips you yeah, know, I'm, like, I'm at the bodega buying chips. Right, right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like she's just being a human being every day. <laughs> so for her, that's not inspiring. That's just her life. Yeah. You know? Um, and well, she's kind a, enough to not be oh, yeah, bothered she's, by she's it. She's totally, right? yeah. She's such a great person. I just adore her. And um, we thought that was funny. You know, we thought that whole situation was funny. So we wrote a song. It's called Patricia in 5N. And... Um, <gasps> It's about she bumps into somebody in the deli who's like, oh, my God, you're so inspiring. And she's like, I'm having a terrible day. I want some crackers, you know, like. Right, right. Um, so in a way, it is about her being in a wheelchair, but it's also like she's just a person having a bad day. Right. And so right. we all can make that 
translation, and I don't know if it's groundbreaking, but it's it's groundbreaking to put somebody who has a something that sets Ex- them apart into exactly. an everyday situation. Exactly. So I should also mention that's a great point. I should also mention that one of the initiatives for Draw the Circle Wide is to get enough money to actually record the songs they've written, the yeah. song that you were just talking about. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes about where you can uh, go and learn more about Draw the Circle Wide. And, and donate money. And donate money because without these songs being properly recorded, they're not, as great as these ideas are, they're not going to be impactful because no one will hear them. So yeah. that's the that's the goal, by the way, of this whole episode in the podcast is to, you know, sort of, um, promote this idea, talk about what it's about, and then hopefully in, engender people to go to the website and learn more. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Uh, we're back. So I want to talk to you, Tom, about the writing process. Um, what Do you have uh, musical or lyrical influences? Because I, I do hear a little Sondheim in your music, and I don't mean that that it sounds derivative, but in terms of storytelling, what what sort of writers have influenced you, do you think? Well, Sondheim is a huge influence on a lot of writers, I think a lot of theater mm-hmm. writers. Um, I grew up listening to Sondheim, and my composer collaborator, David, has... Um, uh, he, he comes, I want to say, from the classical music world, right? That's, that's what his... Um, level of training brings into our work is a more complex way of writing. Mm-hmm. And Sondheim can sometimes be um, tricky for people because there's a level of intelligence to it mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes Sondheim says he's just showing off, which is probably true, but there are oh, things that make me laugh, <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, lyrics and some lyrics in a little night music, very sophisticated, very funny. Um, but, uh, you know, some people think it's pretentious, and I think it's funny. <laughs> I do, too. And, and, and honestly, you know, when... Um, so, uh, Sunday in the Park with George um, is one of my favorite shows, and it's all about class and, and all of these interesting things that, um, you know, the, the artist versus the everyman, and then he gets into like four-part harmony like technically it sounds really difficult to me because i don't know how to write music i think in sunday it's probably like even like six parts six part harmony <laughs> or yeah. seven yeah, parts no, no, big, no big deal um in in the song <laughs> sunday from sunday in the park oh it's very beautiful fucking gorgeous but i think what you're what you're getting at is that the um the complexity of his themes mm. often sort of uh eludes one viewing like you need to you need to see and listen to it more than once oh yeah absolutely um, and sort of the old-fashioned rule about musicals is that you have to be able to hear it the first time and have it land and be able on to hum it right um right. yes musically sure um but i'm also talking about the lyrics themselves where you have to be able to hear the lyrics so that you can move forward with the story as an audience member so that mm. you're not left behind mm-hmm. um and when something's too complicated it it's difficult to follow. Right. But Sondheim hopefully is creating space in the thing for you to digest what you've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it was, I never find it hard to follow his lyrics. No, I, mean, I, I don't either. But, you know, he, I think that's because he does it so expertly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, he writes a complicated lyric and he's making space for your brain to process it. So in, in your writing process, um, your and, and David's writing process, what comes first? Is it, you know, obviously the story before all else, but do you start with lyrics or music or both or simultaneously? Or how, how, does, how does a germ start? I think this is a really common question when it comes to composer-lyricists, um, uh, teams, composer-lyricist mm-hmm. teams. Um, with David and me, uh, we seem to have fallen into a system that has been consistent, which is that we decide what the song is going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, we may decide on a hook or a title. Um, I will go away and write something. Maybe one stands up, excuse me, one stanza and a chorus or, or whatever. And, and sorry, what is, what is a hook? Uh, the hook? The hook would be like, uh, how do I define it? The hook is like the defining moment of the song, right? So the hook in I Could Have Danced All Night is I Could Have Danced All Night. I could have oh, danced okay. all night. I could have danced all night. Right? Well, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Yeah, exactly. That, that's your <laughs> hook. Um, so, Sorry, Ellie. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, the hook is usually almost always the title. Mm. Um, almost always. And in a pop song, it's the same, right? A Case of You is the hook. Oh. Um, but oh. the hook also refers to the musical line that, that hooks you in. That brings you in, right? right. Okay. So in uh, Hamilton, for instance, we're talking about songs that often have multiple hooks. Um, the Schuyler Sisters song in Hamilton has like, I think, three hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you are able to play a snippet of this at some point. Uh, All right, know, I will but, do that. Um, uh, so the hook is the main... Okay. The hook is the main idea of the song. Um, and mm. that is uh, manifests both musically and in terms of the lyrics. Okay. Thank you. So, so we'll go, we'll sometimes decide on what the hook is, uh, in terms of the words. Um, okay. David usually doesn't write until I have presented him with something. Um, but sometimes David will come up with a musical idea and then I'll go away and write lyrics. And then the musical idea will change based on what I've written. Right. But most often, it's lyrics first in that I write a small section of something and bring it to David, and then we'll adjust it based on what he's hearing musically. And I, I'm assuming that, you know, your lyric writing also takes into account, you know, this should be start at a, you know, C major, you know, and go uh, in terms of meter, right? Like you write, I'm assuming you write in terms of like, this is how David will interpret this. Or do you talk about... Or does he take that on himself, like in terms of what the melody is going to be? Well, the melody itself is is all pure David. Right. Um, I may have some influence on it. I may say this is going too much in this direction, or or whatever, okay. um, because we also have to talk about the the emotional tenor of the song. Right. Right. So um, that's something that gets discussed and gets fed into what David is thinking about musically. Okay. Cool. It's like major, minor. Oh like yeah, yeah. Like the key, sense. wherever he puts it. Yeah, I mean. Can I just and, say, like, I'm like, uh, obs- even before I knew what the what the term was, I am obsessed with the minor key. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. It's just, <laughs> it, just the dissonance of it. All right. So, um, one of the things I that I wanted to talk to you about is as creators, even David, in this whole process. Um, 
when you're interviewing actors and singers, you're writing stories about their particular truths. Yeah. What have you learned? What have you learned as two white cis, as two white gay men in this process? Well, um, one of the things that we all could do better is to listen to each other better, mm-hmm. right? So this is the whole thing for us is that we're listening to these people and we're writing for them. So mm-hmm. that means really deep level of listening, right. you know, um, and not imposing our own ideas. So, um, we've learned to listen more. Um, we've also learned, I think, to go ahead and trust ourselves because a lot of the concerns that I have with this project are the concerns of cultural appropriation and the concerns of telling somebody else's story without their input. Right. Mm -hmm. So, that's what we want to do is tell other people's stories, help them tell their stories. But you're absolutely getting their input. This is not something yeah. you're doing on your own. Like, Oh, I love Ellie Stroker and I want, want to write a song about her. Right. But you're actually interviewing her, <laughs> yeah. which by the way, uh, listeners, I want to, I'm going to put some links to hopefully it's okay. I yeah. want to put links to the YouTube channel that you have a, yeah. a couple interviews and stuff. With, uh, yeah. The, Ellie. Right now there are just some clips cause our episodes have not been released yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we'll have clips of Allie, of all of our performers, actually. So far, we have clips of Allie, Jonathan Burke, and Cindy Chung. Cool. So I wanted to also, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, like there's a symbiosis somehow between a gay man who's a writer writing about women. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, the, this really piggybacks on the idea of what you were just talking about, which is as two white gay male writers, what are we learning about writing for other people? Um, and there's a, a parallel subject matter, which is what can we, or can we not write about? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of, um, uh, concern right now about cultural appropriation, right? About white people writing about a subject that isn't theirs or right. anybody writing about a subject that isn't theirs. And I grew up really feeling much closer to women, relating better to women. Mm -hmm. And I don't know all the experiences of women, but I feel much more kinship with women generally. Me too. um, Emotionally and intellectually. And I sometimes wonder what lane am I allowed to be in when I write? question. Because... I Tennessee Williams um, mm-hmm. wrote you know incredible complex fascinating women um, and uh, David and I are currently doing an adaptation of a Henry James novel with our friend Michael Zam who's writing the book uh, that novel is The Wings of the Dove and it has four fantastic fascinating interesting female characters mm. in it. And a main male character who is a little cloudier and a little more difficult to define because James was gay, closet case. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he wrote these women and everything in the novel is so, um, there's so much subterfuge and there's so much, uh, <laughs> it's, it's all under the, under the surface, right? But the women are so interesting. So I don't think it's fair to tell me that I can't write about women right. when that's who I get. One of the things that, that we talked about earlier was this idea of intersectionality. Yeah. You know? um, which I think is interesting because it, 
it touches upon more than one issue, more than race, more than sexual identity and all these things. It can be multiple of those mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. Um, which I think what you're doing with Draw the Circle Wide actually really beautifully addresses. Um, I mean, it can be a, a song about a particular person like Ali in a wheelchair or can be a Chinese-American like Cindy Chung or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea of Draw the Circle Wide tries to address all of these things, you know? Yes, yeah. And and what she was talking about, I mean, uh, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw is a feminist um, scholar. And um, this idea, I think, and I may be speaking out of turn, but I think the idea was first applied to feminist theory, but it expands to include other things like... Um, class, race, sexual orientation, disability. Um, and these are all considered in the effects that social and cultural um, uh, oppression have on mm-hmm. people, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not only oppressed for one reason, right? right? Now, I'm a white gay man, and my gayness is has a very powerful effect on my uh, you know, what I've experienced in my life, mm-hmm. and so does my whiteness, right? So my white privilege is certainly evident, um, mm-hmm. but there's also the whole level of gayness that has affected me in my life. And right. I think there's a video on YouTube where uh, Ms., um, Ms. Crenshaw talks about how women of color are more likely to be suspended from school, mm-hmm. but that they're their race and their gender both play into that issue. Right. So that's intersectionality, right? There's there's more than one thing affecting how you are perceived and included in society. Exactly. I'm I'm going to put a link to that video in the show notes. Uh, it's important for people to understand this because honestly, you know, it took me a while to kind of get it as well. We have our own biases, right, in, in terms of how we approach these things, and just because we've suffered for being gay. Mm-hmm. We also haven't suffered because we're white, you know, and, right. and all those things that play into it, you have to really look at it like a three-dimensional yeah. kind of issue. It's not, it's not just, you know, your own timeline. There, there's other factors that, that play into that. Right. Um, what is my lane is a great, I, I might even call that the title of, mm. of this episode. I don't know. It's fabulous. So um, we're going to play um, some songs. We're going to play four mm-hmm. songs. That you and David have written. This is mm-hmm. not part of Draw the Circle Wide, but it's related to. Yes? Well, I guess it's related in that um, some of the a couple of the songs I think I shared with you are um, are just standalone songs. Two of them are from musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that for a fact, and uh, we can talk about that. But I don't know that they're directly related to Draw the Circle Wide. So we can't we can't do the. This is where you come in, listeners. We can't really play the songs from that, that you guys have written for Draw the Circle Wide because we're looking to get some funding to actually go into a recording studio and record that. But I wanted to give uh, listeners a, an idea of your and David's writing. Uh, so we have four songs. Mm. We're going to play a little snippets of. Um, if you... I don't want to interrupt you, but I just did. Um, <laughs> if you play You Don't Know Love, um, that's a song that I think tips on the idea of intersectionality a little bit. Oh, perfect. That's definitely one of the songs. And that I'm You Don't Know Love is from a musical called Falling to Earth. Um, 
which needs rewriting. So David and I are in a point where we're re- rewriting the book for that. Um, but the main character is Venus, and uh, in the song, she discovers that she's fallen in love with a human, and she thinks she knows everything there is to know about love. Mm. But she's basically telling herself, oh my God, you don't know anything about it, because now you're finally really in love. We're going to take a little break here, and when we come back, we're going to hear the songs of Gualtieri and Sisto. This is You Don't Know Love, sung by Mamie Paris from the play Falling to Earth. You think you want the ecstasy, the tender words, the fantasy, with all your skin, you don't know My favorite lyric, I have to read a little lyric if it's okay. Um, you look at him, he touches you, and with a kiss, you know it's true. He caught you as you fell to earth somehow. Hmm. And then we're going to play Moments of You. So, yeah, so the, Venus is a woman, right? Obviously, in our version, she's a woman. Uh, I guess she could be a trans person. She could be anything, really. But in our version, she's a, she's a cis woman, um, maybe a little bit bisexual. Um but I relate to her. You know, that mm-hmm. was my thing is that I related best to that character. And I felt like she, I knew what she was going through. And, and uh, that's where um, my question about what lane do I have to stay in comes up. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to write her if I, if I wasn't who I am. Okay, and one of the other songs that I love that you guys have written is called Moments of You. Mm. Um, which I think is really interesting because we talked about the second, first, second, third person, mm-hmm. the way it's written. Um, and also it seems to be a song about here's how I'm getting over this heartbreak. Yeah. Yes. Which I think is rather rare. It, mm, I don't know. I, I, I think there are other I'm getting over heartbreak songs. I mean, um, I Will Survive is, is one that comes to oh, mind. Right? <laughs> um, so I think there are a lot of them. I think what you're... Uh, cluing into is the particular way this song is is um, written, which is um, that the the narrator in the song realizes for a moment that they haven't thought about their ex, and in thinking about the ex, of course, that all that's all obliterated, right? But you've had that one moment in your life where, like, oh my god, I was just happy for a second. Yes, oh, yes. I was so grateful that I didn't think yeah. about you. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. That's yeah. what I think is really interesting about the song. Can you can you read a, a little bit of lyric? Yeah, you 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 liked a particular lyric, I think, halfway through the song, um, which is the second verse. There was a morning when I didn't reach for you. For a second in the dark, I didn't reach for you. I was running for the bus at the corner of Barrow, and I didn't think of us or how I told you that we were meant to be. And mm, I don't know, what is it about that that strikes you? I think there's something about... Like, as you say, there, we've all had heartbreaks and we've all had breakups. And there is that specific point when the majority, well, the outward grief is sort of lessened mm. and, and hopefully on the wane. But then there's that point when you realize, I actually had a brief, like, 10 minutes when I didn't, when I wasn't mm. heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And I actually... 
and the way the way that you write um, these specific like geographical sort of points oh, the New York details yeah New York details Barrow Street and stuff and waiting for the train or whatever it, it's, it's very visceral to me because mm-hmm. I know exactly um, what that feels like when you know your heart is just ripped apart and it's it's mending and you have a brief respite yeah where you're not thinking about someone else yeah where you're not grieving way. you realize oh my god grieving. I wasn't grieving in that moment it's yeah beautiful um, yeah it's and it you know the fact that you relate to it is one of the things we're aiming for withdraw the circle wide to circle mm. back on that topic is mm-hmm. we're trying to write songs for people that are not us so that everyone can look at the song or as many people as possible can look at the song and say, oh my God, I get that situation. I know that situation. It reminds me of, I used to, I was watching um, a TV show called Soul Food on Showtime, which was a, which was a series about a black family Mm. um, on Showtime based on the film. Um, Sorry, it was Soul Food on Showtime. I hope I said that correctly. There was a film Soul Food and it was turned into a series. And, I remember watching the episodes because I know that uh, one of the people that was involved in the creation of the show and thinking to myself, oh my God, this is just like my family, but it's a black family mm-hmm. and we're an Italian American family, but right. we all share certain things. Right. So I was able to sit there and watch the show and feel connected to it. And it made me realize how often people of color have had to sit and watch white families in mm. television shows and make that translation. Right. And so that's what we're looking for, right, is for everyone to have some representation because everyone can make that translation. But it's unfair for everyone else to have to look at straight white men and go, okay, that's me. Right. right. This song is Moments of You, sung by Jason Forbach. This is from the 2015 concert at 54 Below. Like you just you hit the I think that's a really good place to end actually because you hit on something really important is you're writing these songs for different types of people different abilities different races different genders or gender orientations but you're using you know sort of standard um, musical theater tropes I don't mean that in a bad way yeah you know you know this is a this is a Chinese American woman singing about XYZ. Right. The fact that she's Chinese American has really nothing to do with it. You well, know you know, I mean? it's, it's a, it's a, and that's a tricky thing to talk about too, because you do want to make sure that the specifics of this human are part of the character you're writing, mm-hmm. but you don't want to point to that as being the subject of the song, because that's the problem is when somebody who is not white right. is portrayed in a drama or a musical, whatever, they are typically portrayed as being other, right? right? They are othered instead of being included. And that's inclusion. But there's, 
What I love what you're doing. This is Compared to You Blues, sung by Terea Campbell. This is from the 2018 concert at 54 Below. The sun is shining over Gotham Town On a day like this, what could get me down? I see your face all over social media You even have a page on Wikipedia Your life is going according to plan While I'm eating tuna Straight out of the can What I love about what you're doing is that the mirror, it's a very political, savvy calculation that just because the mere fact that a Chinese American woman is singing this particular song yeah. is all you need to mention. That's all you need to say about yeah. Chinese American. You know, the rest of the song is just about everything that we all deal with. And right. it shouldn't matter who's singing it. That's right. Which I think is... Fabulous. And Great. that's that's why Ado Annie being yes. in a wheelchair yes. is a very political statement without it being a political statement. Exactly. She's just there and who she is. Exactly. Thank you, Tom. This is uh we're gonna talk more about this, but um, this is a good place to end. We'll have some music uh, interspersed and uh, and check the show notes. Thanks for listening. Alrighty. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. This is When Her Mother Danced, from The Heiress, sung by James Patterson and Jean Lehman. When her mother danced, all of New York paid attention. When her mother danced, all of New York thought her fine. She'd waltz round and then say, Sir, please, once again, Man fell in line when she danced. When her mother smiled, smiling you knew was in fashion. When her mother smiled, all of New York went Way Off the Record has been written, edited, and produced by Scott Ambrosino, also produced by Christian Hernandez. And we are available on all platforms where you get your podcasts. And drop us a line on social media. We can be reached at the at sign WOTRPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening.